0: Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief for January 5th, 2024. Yes. Happy New Year, this is first show of 2024. Glad to be back after a nice little holiday break. I hope everybody enjoyed their Christmas break and New Year's uh, celebration, some downtime perhaps, time with uh, family and friends. It was the case for me, uh, take a little bit of time off to rejuvenate uh, relax read some books uh, get to see some people too which is nice especially uh, talk to a number of fans of the Rogers brief over the holidays and of uh, the Sunday night show as well people that are listening in and tuning in on YouTube so uh, thanks for everybody for saying hi and uh, well let's get back to it we've got lots of stories to cover uh, this week and a few just sort of holdovers from the uh, from the Christmas break that I want to get to And for those that are new to the show uh, new to the show in 2024, maybe it's your New Year's resolution to listen to more uh, legal-themed podcasts. Well, what I do is I cover stories in the news that are have a legal focus, a legal angle that maybe is a little underappreciated, or maybe I feel isn't quite understood uh, properly, and try to explain those things to you. Uh, started off with the. A mass Casualty Inquiry in Nova Scotia. I look at some other inquiries. I'm going to be talking about one of those today and uh, other cases uh, sometimes with the Nova Scotia focus because I'm a lawyer based in Nova Scotia and so these are some of the cases I'm more familiar with. All right so uh, today I'm going to be talking about a few Nova Scotia cases. Uh, one being well it wasn't a case but a decision uh, by the RCMP not to charge anybody with the Tentallen fires, the, uh, the fires that uh, took place outside of the city of Halifax last uh, summer that uh, took many homes and many acres of forest. Interesting case I want to talk about, also a Nova Scotia case, this was a teacher who was charged with sexual assault, put on leave for a few years, finally got to trial, got a decision on that, and uh, so I'll talk about that and some of the background. The foreign interference inquiry, federal inquiry into election interference allegations by uh, state actors from China, Russia, uh, that is getting underway soon. And so I'll cover some of that, including a request by the Conservative Party to uh, an appeal, in a sense, of the decision from Justice Hoag not to give them full party status at the inquiry. And finally, I want to talk a little bit about South of the Border. This is just fascinating. Read am more on this over the holiday break about the various cases that are going to end up in the Supreme Court of the United States dealing with the presidential election, the eligibility of Donald Trump to run in those elections. So I'm sure you've heard about these in the news. I'll give you a little bit of a perspective on that as far as I can tell from um, my analysis of the U.S. legal system and how that's all going to likely unfold and unfold in the next couple of months. So I'll get to that at the end. A couple of things to start with. Uh, One, this is, uh, like I said, January 5th. Two days ago marked the seventh anniversary of the deaths that led to the Desmond Inquiry, the Lionel Desmond Inquiry, which I was involved, of course, representing uh, the personal representative to Corporal Desmond, his sister. So, Corporal Desmond, his uh, mother, daughter, and wife uh, all died on January 3rd, 2017, still awaiting the final report. Those uh, be familiar that last summer, the uh, Provincial Department of Justice removed Judge Zimmer from the case, the story behind that, of course, so I won't get into all that now, replaced it with Judge Paul Scoville, and we're still awaiting that report. Interestingly, I uh, got a call today from a reporter for, uh, from Saltwire asking about this, and he's been, he spoke to the Department of Justice. I, as lawyer to uh, the family, have not heard anything from the Department of Justice, but uh, the reporter called them today. They got word that the report should be ready uh, soon, that it's in the final stages and should be ready soon. So we'll look for that in the next, uh, I take that to mean month or two. so we'll see and there will be an announcement apparently when uh, that is ready to be announced. So uh, that's one thing. Another thing uh, draw people's attention if you're interested in forensic psychology, uh, Dr. Margot Watt, a professor at Saint of professor of Forensic Psychology, uh, has published a book of cases. It's just t- cases in clinical forensic psychology. So she wrote, a really nice chapter, and she shared it with me last year about uh, Gabriel Wartman, the mass shooter in Nova Scotia. And I thought it was the most incisive piece of work on the psychology of Gabriel Wartman that anybody had come up with, and this, you know, including all the experts that went to the mass casualty inquiry to testify. So really recommend this. Uh, It's an academic work, but uh, the writing in it is really good. Easily accessible, and I see in their other chapters, which I haven't read yet, that she discusses other cases, prominent cases you'd be familiar with: Dennis Oland, uh, Russell Williams, the mass shooter, you know, ex-military mass killer in Ontario, Carla Hamolka, Tory Stafford, the Donald Marshall, Colton Bushy cases, uh, and others. So, uh, lots to uh, dig into there. Accessible price-wise too, no more than a regular book. I think a hard cover is forty-something, and the soft cover is. Thirty something, or the ebook, so uh, an accessible piece of work for people that are interested in that. Doctor Watt, I would just say I, I compare so to uh, coaches in the professional sports. You sometimes hear of a coaching tree of, you know, a, a Bill Belichick or some, or a, you know, somebody who's coached with Glenn Sather. Now all these assistant coaches are now head coaches in other organizations. Well. Dr. Watt is that equivalent in academics, in forensic psychology, and uh, has, many of her students have gone on to uh, academic careers of their own, and so uh, has really done a service to the, uh, to the field of study. Uh, third quick thing, just before we get started into the cases, is uh, Dennis Edney. Dennis Edney might not be a familiar name to everybody, but uh, he died this last week, age of 77, Dennis Edney was the lawyer for Omar Cotter. Uh, Omar Cotter, the Canadian teenager who was arrested uh, in Afghanistan, detained in Guantanamo Bay, subject to torture and all kinds of um, uh, terrible things, uh, un- pretty scant evidence of him having done anything in Afghanistan that uh, would have justified any of this treatment. Anyway, Dennis Edney, was a uh, who won national awards for his pro bono work, uh, represented Cotter, traveled to uh, Guantanamo Bay, represented him for many, many years. When Cotter finally got parole, he, Dennis Edney, and his wife took him into their home in Edmonton, uh, where he stayed. Uh, Dennis Edney, originally from Scotland, from Dundee, didn't become a lawyer until he was 40 years old. Uh, Had, uh, I think, drove a truck and did some other jobs prior to that, and then became a lawyer, and then uh, really exemplified the best of the profession. He uh, spoke a few years ago at a Canadian Bar Association conference in Halifax, had the room uh, in tears at times, and in, uh, you know, it was a a rapt audience, huge ovation at the end. Quite a quite a guy, quite a loss. So uh, Dennis Edney, I'm going to mention that. Okay. Talk about some cases. Just uh, in the news this week, I see this the case that is not a case. This is the Town Fire. No arson charges laid. Community very upset. Uh, 200 homes or sorry, homes and buildings lost. 800 hectares of land. There was a video apparently circulating that... Purported or seemed to show what might have started it all, but you know the location was uncertain. The people involved might not have been t- might not have been all that certain either. So the RCMP did some investigation and then closed their case, and that was that. Problem was, the RCMP didn't announce that they weren't uh, going to f- proceed with charges; they just didn't, and they apparently told the Uh, the Minister of Natural Resources, but didn't tell the public, didn't tell the community group that's been involved and been been quite active. And so people are quite upset about that. And anyway, just uh, people that follow this podcast on the Sunday night would not be terribly surprised that the RCMP didn't effectively communicate to the public uh, some actions and some decisions. I think people would understand the decision. Very tough to prove uh, an arson case such as that. In the middle of a heat season, I mean, yes, there was no lightning and maybe it started accidentally or you know, probably not on purpose, maybe accidentally, but, or maybe negligently, whatever, right? People can understand that it's difficult to build an arson case, but the RCP should have come out, made had a press conference, announced that that was their decision and everybody can move on, ask the questions they want to ask and, uh, you know, continue on with other aspects of trying to figure out how to mitigate against future fire damage. All right. case out of uh, the Valley that caught my attention this week. I didn't see it. It didn't really get any news coverage. Uh, I didn't see. But I thought it was indicative, I guess, in a way of the the culture in which we find ourselves. This was a teacher. His name was uh, Jason Pleasant Sampson. Don't know much about him. I know he uh, he's a baseball player, played for the Wildcats, a teacher and a trained first aid uh, responder, provider. One of two in this school. Actually, it's funny, the decision doesn't name the school. It's a high school. It's uh, a grade nine student, so I assume Horton, but maybe not, somewhere down there in the valley. So the allegation was that in June of 2019, June 14th, 2019, grade 9 student was out rollerblading, uh, got a road rash on her, outside of her right leg, was taken by the gym teacher, uh, Mr. Vino, to uh, Mr. Pleasant Sampson, and he uh, applied, you know, applied first aid, uh, treated the the wound, it was, you know, superficial wound, some bandages, and off you go. Two of her friends with her, they don't name the... uh, the girl, GL is initials uh, that the initials that they use. So GL and uh, two friends go to Mr. Pleasant Samson's uh, space, wherever he is. The door is open to the hallway, and uh, you know, a few minutes later, she's gone. Well, what does she allege? She alleges some weeks later that, uh, more than weeks later, uh, that uh, he had brushed against her privates, her vagina, and her buttocks with his, his hand that had paper towel on it. All right, the wound was on the outside of her leg. So okay, uh, Mr. Pleasant Sampson is put on leave. He's put on leave by the school and uh, was on leave until this trial, until, probably still until this decision. The girls Claimed The girl and one of her friends claimed that they went to the guidance counsellor uh, that day. Then they said it might have been a few days later and spoke to the guidance counsellor and said, well, here's what happened. Here's the allegation and you should do something about it. And they said the guidance counsellor shut them down, did nothing about it. Well, uh, here we have Judge uh, Vanderhoek has a decision on the matter. The girls testified. Two of them did. Sorry, three. The three girls testified. The guidance counselor testified, and the uh, Mr. Pleasant Sampson himself testified. The guidance counselor, who has is not friends with Mr. Pleasant Sampson, uh, just colleagues, does, hadn't spoken to him since. Said the girls did not speak to her. Uh, did not uh, come ask for a meeting. Didn't and if if they had, she would have, you know, sent it up the line as per procedure. Judge believes her, so that was a big problem in their in their story. The other one was the the main the complainant herself apparently was quite confident on the stand, uh, but the friend was nervous, shaking, all those things that uh, certainly caused some concern for the judge. The other thing that the judge noticed or noted was the allegation was that Pleasant Samson was rubbing the wound, and the judge says, if anybody anybody that knows anything about first aid would know, you don't do that, because you're just going to rub dirt into the wound, you would pat the wound, and all those things. Plus, it was only a couple of minutes. Uh, Pleasant Samson testified himself. She had no problem believing him. Uh, it seemed, anyway like a very easy decision to make in a way, okay? So what this raises, I wonder how, how long has Mr. Pleasant Sampson, uh, first aid trained uh, teacher, been on leave? Uh, and for what? You know, uh, it seemed like, the, so the judge's conclusion was that this girl just wanted to make a complaint against him, uh, concocted the story, and convinced her friend to go along with it, the friend was nervous, was uh, you know, ready to lie, but very nervous about doing so, and didn't do a good job of it. And uh, that was that. So it makes you wonder, all right, so how many steps would this have gone through, right? The, so the girls complained. Uh, so as soon as, you know they go to the police, the police lay a charge. As soon as the police lay a charge, the school has to act, they put the guy on leave. All these steps are taken without anybody really, it seems, assessing the, the story until it gets to a judge. So this is, happens, you see this many, many times, right? The police don't really want, all right, they don't want to make a, a real decision. It's a sexual assault allegation. They have to take it seriously, so they lay the charge. The Crown Prosecutor, uh, it's a sexual assault charge. Uh, they don't want to just drop it if the person is asserting that, yes, it happened. Uh, even if it seems unlikely and all those things are unbelievable, then it goes to court. So all this time, uh, the not guilty, Mr. Pleasant Sampson, is, is suffering and uh, his reputation is suffering and is, uh, it's a good teacher perhaps uh, taken out of the system. So um, there's a problem there somewhere. Hopefully this exoneration, and it's a, a full exoneration, she, Judge Vanderhoek believed uh, Mr. Pleasant Sampson, who testified. And, uh, you know, anyway, hopefully his, his reputation is secure and uh, restored to the extent that it was ever harmed. All right. Next I want to actually talk about, there was a, in, this is across uh, Canada, I'm going to talk about the Foreign Interference Inquiry and the uh, the trump case as well but have a little bit of time I got a, a we got a notification from the uh, from one of the judges about the new bail reform so the c uh, c48 the bill to reform bail in Canada if you followed the news you'd realize bail was a bit of an issue politically last year and the government brought in some measures so uh, there are some changes coming and they're going to be significant so the judges wanted the lawyers who deal with these matters regularly to be aware of it. And uh, one of the judges was kind enough to prepare some uh, sort of a short summary of everything. So the main changes are uh, reverse onus provisions. So what does that mean? Instead of, normally if somebody's charged, the default position is you get to, all right, here's your court date, you get to go home and uh, no restrictions. Unless the crown can justify imposing those conditions, the reverse onus is: if it's a certain charge, certain seriousness, then you're presumed to be in custody unless you can prove that you should be able to get out if you're safe to be out in society. So it is significant, and uh, it gets uh, so it it's a significant alteration if you're one or the other. So the list is now expanded, which provisions in the criminal code are reverse onus. So it includes things like possession of prohibited or restricted firearms with ammunition, uh, break and enter to steal a firearm, robbery to steal a firearm, uh, making an automatic firearm, and, other, and weapons trafficking or possession of uh, weapons for the purpose of trafficking. So these are... Uh, also, importing unauthorized weapons. So a lot of these have to do with firearms. The second sort of major focus is on intimate partner violence. And so, if you have a an act of intimate partner violence, if you've been previously convicted of an offense in the of uh, uh, an offense where violence was used in an intimate partner situation, and then now instead of presumptive bail you're presumed to be in custody unless you can show you deserve bail. So that's a, those are the two big ones, firearms and intimate partner violence. The other change is the reverse onus if a prior if you've had a prior violent offense that included a weapon, but in that case, both the current offense and the previous offense have to be offenses for which there was a, a 10 year, a maximum sentence of 10 years or more. Something, this will be, there will be a practical issue here because when you get a criminal record of somebody, you don't know how, so when a charge comes before the court, the Crown has to decide whether they're going to proceed summarily or indictably. Summarily is less serious, indictably is more. And summary conviction offense, the maximum sentence is two years. Indictably, it can be, it can be life in jail, but it can be much more right ten years so but on criminal records when you just see somebody's criminal record you don't you know what kind of a sentence they may have received but you don't know just looking at the record whether the crown proceeded summarily or indictably unless the records unless the sentence is more than two years in which case obviously it was indictably so there'll have to be uh, some adjustments there just on bail situations so people will know how to treat those uh, other things that are changes, they're required to consider any previous convictions involving violence. Well, they already do that. Uh, and a special consideration for uh, Indigenous offenders and over-incarceration of Aboriginal and accused or vulnerable populations. Well, again, that's kind of already done As uh, now. Well, it is already done. Sa- safety and security of the community is, specifically has to be considered. Well. That is always considered too under the current test for bail. So, there so are some significant changes, and uh, so it'll adjust the way uh, bail hearings are, are held. All right, uh, foreign interference inquiry. This one is going to the hearings are going to start on this late January, January 29th in Ottawa, under the guidance of Justice Marie Jose Hogue, H-O-G-U-E. Now, the interim report in this Foreign Interference Inquiry was supposed to be provided in February. It's been pushed back to May, and I think that's a good idea to delay that. It was, in the Mass Casualty Commission, there was an interim report done fairly early, and it really had nothing in it. it all it had in it was the material that was available before the inquiry started, which was already public. So if it was the case here that the hearings were starting in January and you do a report in February, well, that's not going to include anything substantive, just uh, sort of procedural documents and uh, expectations for the future, the same with the mass casualty interim report. So pushing it back to May will allow at least some assessment of the early, on, early evidence that is provided and uh, some guidance as to how long it may take and all these other things. So. Uh, We'll we'll look for that testimony to start at the end of January. Now, I talked a couple of videos ago about the requests for standing in this inquiry. And uh, some parties have full party standing, which means they get to see all the documents, make submissions, question witnesses, and so on. Some have only sort of a modified standing, including the Conservative Party and the NDP. Conservative Party appealed that in a sense, so they requested a review from uh, Justice Hoag herself. Uh, not, they didn't make a, um, an application to the court to have a judicial review uh, take place. But uh, that was refused. So the problem is, the the shortcoming is that if you're not a full party, you don't get to see the documents that are not made exhibits. So you don't know what's been excluded from consideration. You only know what came into the hearing through somebody else's uh, feeling that it was important enough to become part of the hearing. Different parties may have different views about which of the you know thousands of documents are important enough to make the uh, make the inquiry hearing time itself. Now, Justice Hoag says, well, yes, but we don't want this to become political and the Conservative Party has other options for getting that information. They can uh, get it through legislative committees in the House of Commons, including the National Security and Intelligence Committee, which has access to classified information. All right, well, not quite the same thing. It's not as as focused, and that also requires that those committees study the material in that same kind of way. Uh, So, uh, not so, uh, anyway, we'll see how it affects the inquiry, but it does, it is going to affect how uh, legitimate the inquiry is seen to be. Last one I want to talk about is uh, the big story from down south. So you may have heard that now two states, Colorado was the first, Colorado, the first and more serious in a sense of the two, and Maine was the other, who have declared that uh, Donald Trump is not eligible to be on the presidential ballot in their states. Colorado did it through their Supreme Court, a close decision, a 4-3 split decision. And then the main situation, that wasn't done through the courts, that was done through the electoral officer, who basically, though, relied upon the uh, Colorado Supreme Court conclusion. So, uh, former President Trump is not eligible to be on the Colorado presidential ballot, and the reason is the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, Section 3, which uh, came in after the U.S. Civil War, which banned from office, and that's a, a defined term, banned from office anybody who shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, which being against the country or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Okay. Uh, so this is the justification, the four, four to three decision used saying that, you know, on January 6th, 2021, uh, that Trump encouraged or, uh, was part of an insurrection. Now, uh, Trump's, uh, Trump's filed, uh, his lawyers have filed a response, which I've reviewed, and I think it's going to carry the day. Like, so it says, first of all, it's the first time the judiciary has prevented voters from casting ballots for the leading major party presidential candidate. He's way up in the polls, so it would be almost inconceivable that the judiciary would prevent the voters from being able to vote for the person who's leading in the polls. They also say that the purpose of the Section 3 Amendment uh, to the 14th Amendment was for people who engaged in, like it was after the Civil War, it was a, a war, an armed insurrection, waged war against the country. But on the other hand, so that's, and that hasn't happened since the Civil War. On the other hand, the United States has a long history of political protests that have turned violent. So there you go. I think this is the argument that's going to carry the day. This is a political protest. And I think the, so the, the issue is, oh, this has to go to the Supreme Court of the United States and it has to happen quickly because the presidential election is next, uh, this fall, this November. So, and <laughs> that's quicker than courts usually move, particularly uh, Supreme Courts. I think this is going to carry. This argument is going to carry the day, though. Like, this is a, a political protest. I think the court will say yes. Uh, the president may have been negligent in or reckless in uh, his words that day, but this was at its heart a political protest, not an attempt to take over the country uh, and you know see it that see it through that lens. Uh, concern also on the Trump uh, team side is that this would be used as a template to disenfranchise voters across the country, and you know, really, I think that would be the case. I mean, it's already happened in Maine, as as we've said. So uh, the time pressure, the Supreme Court has two things now to deal with in the president in the lead up to the presidential election. One is this thing out of Colorado, which says he's. Trump is ineligible to be on the ballot because of the insurrection of January 6th. The second thing that's coming to the Supreme Court is this uh, special prosecution request for the Supreme Court to quickly consider the issue of presidential immunity and whether the president, uh, just by being the president, is immune from criminal prosecution uh, during his time in office. They're immune from civil prosecution and civil suits for anything they do. I think, as I said before, I think the court is going to come down and say, well, if it's a political act, then it cannot be a, a crime as well. And there's some leeway there for the president. I think in this case, uh, you know, they're going to consider that this, the nature of the January sixth event, events, series of events, was a political protest, not an armed, uh, armed insurrection, and that uh, the president, uh, former president will be eligible. Anyway, those are the thoughts on that one. So hopefully I was trying to, you know, it's, it's so much different down in the U.S. Just The, the court structure is, is different, the way that states have control versus in Canada, the provinces don't have the same level of authority over issues that the uh, state courts in the U.S. do any event, uh, that's, that's sort of my summary of that. If you need some, uh, shorthand for what's going on down there. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's it for this week. I'll be up on uh, Sunday evening, Sunday night with the Sunday night, uh, show with Paul, Paul Palango, and Jordan Bonaparte. Uh, so, uh, be tuning in there and be getting messages. Paul Palango doesn't take a vacation. He's been reading articles and digging into things all Christmas break and sending me emails, read this, read this. So it should be a great show when we get back uh, Sunday night. So until then, and until next week, uh, thank you everybody for watching. Uh, Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.